Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com. The author Leighton Ford once said that Christianity began in Palestine as a relationship, moved to Greece and became an idea, went to Rome and became an institution, then came to America and became an enterprise. I love that quote because it reminds us that no matter what sort of shape and trajectory the church has taken, it began as a series of relationships of God to us, us to God, us to one another. And as we journey through this series called Form and Fire, as we discuss the Holy Spirit, it's important for us to be reminded that it's in the giving of the Holy Spirit that we have a unique ability to live into that relationship with God and relationship to each other and relationship to the world around us. Tonight's going to be a specific kind of teaching, one of those uh, kind of definitive ones, where we're going to be talking about the title that John gives him in his gospel three times in chapter 14, 15, 16, is that he is the spirit of truth. And the reason we were talking about the Holy Spirit as the one who brings truth is because we want to be able to understand that our understanding of the Holy Spirit and our operating in the Holy Spirit is grounded deeply in a rich and robust theology. Unfortunately, some of the tradition around churches who emphasize the Holy Spirit oftentimes uh, don't take the time to unpack the rich theology of what the Bible has to say about the Holy Spirit. So we're going to be doing that tonight. John Tyson says that we need a theology that cannot be dismissed and a power that cannot be denied. And so we're going to be talking specifically about the topic of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now that might be a new phrase for you. Uh, If you grew up in the church, you probably recognize that phrase, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But what we don't know is kind of what sort of... um, emotions that kind of like stirs up within you when you hear that phrase, baptism of the Holy Spirit. I remember the first time I ever heard that, I was a high schooler. I went to a summer camp and someone mentioned it. And we're going back, growing up in a Christian home, growing, growing up in a Presbyterian church in La Jolla, just down the street, and um, asking my parents about this, this thing, this baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they began to unpack for me what they knew and their experience. And and it was, I thought it was strange for me to have lived so much of my life within the context of church and within the context of the scriptures and not have any sort of framework for what that was. And so that's kind of our, our hope today is to be able to kind of dive into that subject. Now, I, I want to also recognize that there are those, A, that have never heard this before, those who have heard this within a negative concept, you think about... <coughs> Think about people like John MacArthur, who's um, just a world-renowned Bible teacher who has kind of made it his vendetta uh, to call any sort of church that talks about the Holy Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit and has gone as far to call them as demonic. And so it's kind of this charged thing. And so my, my professor, Dr. Gary Bashir's 
has this uh, matrix in which you can kind of use to talk about doctrine and beliefs of the church. And so there's kind of four categories. Number one is things that you're willing to die for. Secondly, divide for. Thirdly, debate for. And lastly, decide for. And so there's certain things that Christians for centuries are willing to die for. The, the divinity of Jesus Christ, that it's through his death and resurrection that we have salvation. People have given up their lives for that. There's also this category divide for. That historically, churches have come to certain doctrines and said, we can't be in fellowship with one another. For better or for worse, things have been divided over. There's kind of this third category that you're not going to divide over, but you're, it's important and you're willing to debate for. And then there's also things that are just less significant. It's just more that you're going to decide for. And so I think what oftentimes is that we, we tend to push certain doctrines up from the decide for, debate for, into the divide for category, which is where denominations have largely come from. But my hope is that we would actually begin to put some of those doctrines uh, into a category, not that they're not important, but rather than them resulting in division, resulting in just a robust conversation around the scriptures. And so that's really, I hope, where this lands tonight is that maybe you'll hear this and you don't agree with where we land as a church um, and, and that that would be okay. That this is something that you would be willing to kind of debate for. And uh, Historically, this has been, within the church, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit has been one of the leading causes of division within the church all the way back to um to over a thousand years ago where the eastern church and the western church divided over if the holy spirit came from the father or always was with the father and it may sound silly to us now but it it split the western and eastern church in more recent terms there is um, around the 1700s a couple of guys by the name of john wesley and george whitfield while studying at oxford university had an encounter with the holy spirit they, did, they began to meet together and started this thing that other students kind of snubbed them and called them the, the Holiness Club. Well, that Holiness Movement turned into the Methodist Movement, and it was largely influenced by the role of the Holy Spirit. Fast forward to about 1908, I'm sorry, 1906, and something happened called the Azusa Street Revival. It happened up in L.A., where the, there was a a unique gathering of multicultural, multi-ethnic churches came together and there was a radical outpouring of the Holy Spirit. People began to be healed and people began to speak in tongues. And from 1906, so this is just a hundred years ago, uh, began what began the, the movement called kind of Pentecostal or charismatic movement which is the fastest growing religious movement in the world out of any religion uh, within the Christian church. It now makes up 600,000 um, Christians around the world, which means it's about a quarter of anyone in the world that calls themselves Christians belongs to this camp of Pentecostals or Charismatics. And they're people who believe in this thing called the infilling or the baptism uh, or life by the Holy Spirit. And there is this, when it comes to this idea of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, 
chances are uh, that there's three really strong streams that you could have maybe found yourself in. The first one is what's called sensationalism. And think of like a sensation. It's people who highly emphasize and sometimes overemphasize the experience, kind of the emotionalism that comes along with things within the Pentecostal tradition. Um, a lot of times within this kind of sensationalist uh, kind of movement that people become very leery. There's issues of abuse. There's issues of, of spiritual abuse. Of people saying things like, I heard God say this. Um, people operating a sense that for that people, even if their motivation is right, end up having a very strong objection to what they're encountering. There's another stream called intellectualism, which is which confines the doctrine of the Holy Spirit to something you understand and agree with, but it's not something you necessarily practice. Uh, for a large part, this would be where uh, people like uh, Calvary Chapel or some of that tradition would fall into, where it's people that maybe have some sort of theology for the Holy Spirit, but you wouldn't necessarily see that lived out or practiced. And then there's people who are even more extreme. They're called cessationists. Not sensationalism, but cessationalism. So think of the word cease. And what they believe is that the Holy Spirit was poured out in the early church, but then stopped. That it fulfilled its need to start the church, but it has no purpose nowadays. And so we had mentioned John MacArthur. It's kind of a part of that camp. That, and it's more than just him. But it just believes that it had its purpose but there's no room uh, for the, the gifts of the Spirit, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit for today. It served its specific purpose. And if you kind of grew up in that tradition, and, and maybe, or maybe if you didn't, and you might be like, well, where do they kind of come up with that idea? Well, in Ephesians 4, talks about, it says, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. So they're just like, well, there's only one baptism. So why are people talking about kind of the second filling of the second baptism? Um, they quote 1 Corinthians 12, um, which says the same thing. Um, they will quote 1 Corinthians 13, says, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. And their interpretation of that passage is when completeness comes, it's in reference to either A, the canonized scripture, meaning since we have the scripture now, we don't need things like tongues, prophecy, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that those things would cease. Uh, the, the problem with that is kind of twofold. One is it doesn't say that just prophecy and tongues will cease. It also says that knowledge will cease. And no one would kind of argue that. Secondly, the idea that when completeness comes, being the canonization of Scripture, there's nowhere in the Scripture that says that. And, and so a lot of times kind of the joke is, well, it's the Father, Son, and Holy Scriptures rather than the Holy Spirit. Um, but there are some... Uh, objections. One and probably one of the strongest is the phrase the baptism of the Holy Spirit, as we would say that, is not found in the New Testament. 
although it does talk about this, and we'll talk about this in a second, this idea of baptism. Um, but I want to kind of give it the other side. So our idea is not that we want to be kind of a sensational church that chases after an experience and some sort of emotionally charged thing that can lead towards things like abuse. We also don't want to just be a bunch of intellectuals that have a doctrine of the Holy Spirit, but don't have any sort of framework for how that practices. We also, as a church, are not cessationists. We do not believe that the Holy Spirit was just poured out on the early church and then somehow ceased. And so, what do we believe? And so, again, our hope is to present to you, I know it's probably a little bit of a different sermon uh, than you used to, is just to really present to you why, as a church, <coughs> we believe that there is this experience that happens after conversion, whether you want to call it a baptism of the Spirit or a filling of the Spirit, that continues to empower and animate the life of the believers that some people, frankly, are not aware of or are aware of and choose not to operate in. And so uh, you might just be asking, kind of, where, where do you get that? So let me, let me pull our attention to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, this is kind of going and kind of tracking with uh, the missionary journey of, of Paul and the, the spread of the early church. And at this specific situation, they're talking about the city of Ephesus. And Paul is arriving there right after a guy had left by the name of Apollos, who had kind of started and laid the groundwork for that church. This is what it says. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on him, them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. They were about 12 men in all. And so a couple of questions I kind of want to work through, work through here. So just track with me. And if you have a Bible, you may want to just follow along because nothing I'm going to be saying here is going to be just thoughts that Benji has. We're just going to be tracking with the Bible and asking ourselves appropriate questions that the text is drawing out. Number one is that Paul is differentiating between John's baptism and the, and the second baptism. So what is he referring to? Well, Jesus talks about this in Matthew 3 um, when John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me, talking about Jesus, comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals are not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so John kind of sets the stage of that I'm baptizing you with water, which the church still practices, but there's one coming after me who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so one question that we have to ask is, well, when does the Holy Spirit show up? And Ephesians 1.13 very clearly says, You were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Well, well there it is. We know 
that at the moment of conversion, the moment of our belief in Jesus Christ, we are not only um, filled with the Spirit, we are marked and sealed with the Holy Spirit. And so, what, what, what are they talking about? If the Holy Spirit comes at conversion, were the men of Ephesus in, in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19, maybe they weren't Christians then. That, that's kind of one theory, is that they weren't really followers of Jesus. Um, and I've heard a lot of people say that when, when people talk about Acts chapter 19. It's like, well, the reason they, they were Jews that had been baptized, they were disciples of John, but they weren't followers of Jesus. That's why the, when the Holy Spirit came on them, it came at their conversion. The, the problem with that is if you scoop back a few verses, remember, there's no chapters and verses um, in the original manuscript. So if you just go back a few verses in Acts chapter 18, it gives some more context. It says, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor, and he taught about Jesus accurately, though he know, knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more accurate, adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. So, the problem with people saying that Acts chapter 19 was referring to disciples who did not know Jesus yet is the verses before it. It's the context. Apollos clearly, multiple times here, says was teaching accurately the things of Jesus, except the one thing he didn't understand was this baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so the question is, so, so is there? Is there this kind of secondary experience that happens after conversion? So John chapter 20, uh, I'm just going to give you a couple moments here. One has to do with Jesus, Jesus and his disciples. So after the resurrection, Jesus shows up to his disciples and he says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And so there, there you have it. I guess that the, holy, the disciples have the Holy Spirit. They have that seal for the day of redemption. But it's interesting that Jesus goes on to tell them, wait for the gift that my Father is going to give you. And in Acts chapter 2, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house that they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came and rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So, Jesus had already been raised from the dead. They had put their faith in him. He had breathed on them and given them the Holy Spirit and yet still told them to wait for something. And as they did, the day of Pentecost came and says that the Holy Spirit came and filled them. And then they began to speak in other tongues and it being one of the greatest kind of evangelistic moments. And maybe you're like, well, is, that's just the, it's just the disciples. Is there any other times besides Acts 19 and Acts chapter 2? Well, Acts chapter 8. It says, but when they believed, Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. 
So again, here you have converts. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit. But because the Holy Spirit had not yet come to any of them, they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So here again, now in Samaria, happens with the disciples in Jerusalem, happens with converts in Samaria, it happens with disciples in Ephesus. So in multiple times in Scripture, you see this secondary act where the Holy Spirit comes. And this is where Pentecostals and people in the charismatic tradition says that, yes, the Holy Spirit comes at conversion. He's, he's marked you, he's sealed with the day of redemption. But there is this this invitation, this prayer for the Holy Spirit to come and to fill. Uh, the word baptize that's used a few different times is just the word immersed. Uh, it's when, and by the way, it also says that Jesus is the one who baptizes. So it's almost as Jesus immerses you in the Holy Spirit. So another question, well, is it, is it just a secondary experience? Like does it happen, is it like a second conversion thing? Because once you're saved, you don't have to keep getting re-saved. What about the Holy Spirit? Is this like a one-and-done kind of deal? Well, Acts chapter 4 tells the disciples, right, who've already, day of Pentecost came, filled with the Holy Spirit, it says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. This is Acts chapter 4. So it happens again. Ephesians chapter 5 Paul is talking to that church in Ephesus. Says, "Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit." And that the word, if you were to read it in the Greek, reads like this: "Keep being filled with the Spirit." And so this is, and this is kind of we're going to start kind of kind of parsing some things out right here. Historically, a lot of Pentecostal traditions believe that there is a secondary experience but emphasize it in such a way that it's like it's it's like a one and done kind of thing. The problem is the Bible talks about people who are filled with the Holy Spirit continuing to have these moments of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so, if you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean you stop praying for that. Even maybe you even receive some gifts. It means that you continue to pray, to eagerly desire for the Holy Spirit to come. But I also recognize there's people who are maybe hearing this and they're wrestling with the fact that, you know, I don't know if I've ever asked for the Holy Spirit to come and to fill me, to be immersed in the Holy Spirit by Jesus. My encouragement to you is that you would. You would, you would pray and invite. And, and one thing you notice is that it's never like some drawn-out sermon. There's no fog machines or lights or worship band. It's very simple. Remember, Jesus says it's to the Father's delight that he gives the Holy Spirit as a good gift. We don't have to twist the arm of God to give us the Holy Spirit. But it does seem to be like there are people in the New Testament church who just didn't know. So if you're one of those people, what a beautiful invitation that you, right now, wherever you're watching this, can just say, Holy Spirit, would you come and fill me, baptize me, immerse me in you? And then for those of you who maybe prayed that prayer before, Pray it again. And I think one of the one of the things is like, well, well, what should we expect? You you read some stories here where people started speaking in tongues and prophesying. Is that gonna happen? 
Um, maybe we'll talk about that next week. So stay tuned. Uh, but I also want to give you five things that should happen when you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Number one, you have a unique empowerment, meaning power comes upon you. Secondly, and tied to it, you are empowered to be his witness, meaning the work of the Holy Spirit does not point back to the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit points towards Jesus and who he is. The third thing is that the Holy Spirit gives us divine supernatural gifts. And we're going to spend the next two weeks talking about the spiritual gifts and how they function. Fourthly, that when the Holy Spirit comes, he's, he roots a deep Christ-like uh, fruit that starts bearing in our lives. And we'll talk about this in, in later on in November, the fruit that comes from the Holy Spirit. And then the last thing is that the Holy Spirit indwelling inside you, filling, uh, knits you in a very intimate way to God. You begin to start, what Paul says, keeping in step with the Spirit, being led by Him. So there's just five things that we can expect at some, at some level to start happening in our lives, meaning that we are no longer just living kind of our own, under our own natural strength. We have been given the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead now lives inside of you, empowers you to be a witness, fills you with gifts, produces fruit from your life, ties you and tethers you to an intimate relationship with God. Um, so the last question I wanted to ask is, why? Why would we want, need the Holy Spirit to be given? And, and this is what I would like to submit to you today. And when Luke writes his gospel, he writes it in a very unique way. He, even in the, in the description of Jesus' life, pay attention to how often Luke mentions the Holy Spirit. The reason he does this is because he desires for us to recognize that Jesus lived the incredible, beautiful, miraculous life he did, not because he was divine, though he was, but because he was marked by the Holy Spirit. Why? Because you and I have been marked by that same Spirit. So if it's possible for Jesus to live with this kind of naturally supernatural kind of life, so it is for you and I. We have access to that same beautiful invitation to the Jesus. But why? Well, because the question we have to ask ourselves is, did Jesus' ministry stop when he ascended into heaven? And the answer to that is an emphatic no. The kingdom continues to advance. The ministry and the message and the mission of Jesus continue to be central to the Christian life. And so that is why we need the infilling of the Holy Spirit, to be immersed in the Holy Spirit, so that we can continue to carry out the kingdom of God that was clearly preached by Jesus. That's why in Luke chapter 24, in his kind of finishing up speech in verse 46, 48 says, you are witnesses to these things. I'm going to send you what my father's promised, but stay in the city until you have been what? Clothed with power from on high. And that's what we get to wait for, is to be clothed with power from on high. And just a lasting conclusion is the Holy Spirit, the coming of the Holy Spirit was not something invented by the early church. It was prophesied hundreds of years ago. In the, in the Hebrew scriptures. 
And when it talks about the day when the Holy Spirit comes, I want you to pay attention. This is in Joel that Peter quotes from on the day of Pentecost when he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, And afterward I will pour out my Spirit, listen to this, on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. I mean, just think about what he's saying here. This isn't the Holy Spirit gets poured out on all people. It's not ageist, right? It's on the young. It's on the old. It's not racist. It's on the Jew and the Gentile. It's not sexist. It's for men and women. It's not classist. It's for, it's for the, the servant. It's for the wealthy and the poor. The Holy Spirit is offered to all so that we can continue to see the mission, the message, and the ministry of Jesus as he advances the kingdom of God continue. And my friends, we cannot do that without the Holy Spirit. Francis Schaeffer says, Preaching the gospel without the Holy Spirit is to miss the entire point of the command of Jesus Christ for our era. In the area of Christian activities, our Christian service, how we are doing doing it is at least as important to what we are doing. I love that. The Holy Spirit addresses how. How are we living this out? By the power of the Spirit of God. So again, I know I just fire-hosed you with a whole lot of scriptures and theology. Some of you guys are like, thanks, I wasn't asking about this, but um, some of you guys maybe were. Like I said, maybe you're even arriving at different places. But I wanted to be clear of where we are as a church. We are a church who believes that the Spirit of God is still active today. We are a church who believes that every single believer has been marked and sealed with the Holy Spirit from the moment of their conversion and yet should eagerly desire for the baptism and the filling and the immersion of the Holy Spirit in our life. Why? So that we can continue to live a naturally supernatural life to advance God's kingdom because of Jesus Christ, the risen King. And so if you've never done that before, I actually kind of love that you're watching this. Maybe you're driving to work or maybe you're like sitting in your living room. Um, what, what would it look like for you just to ask for Jesus to baptize you? to fill, And again, baptism just means to immerse yourself in, to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Whether you've done it, if you've never done it before, or you've done it a hundred times. And just say, Jesus, would you, would you fill me, immerse me in your spirit? And as you do, would you expect in your heart to shift gears, to allow the Spirit of God to begin to start animating your life in a powerful and compelling way for the sake of the kingdom of God? Let me just pray for you. Jesus, we thank you for the invitation that you've given us to invite the Holy Spirit to come. So Lord, whoever's watching this, wherever they're watching this, Jesus, I ask right now, would you baptize them, immerse them, fill them? Just cover them, Lord Jesus. Rest upon them, your Holy Spirit. Well, God, I pray that it would awaken us to life. It would empower us to be a witness. 
And Lord, I pray that we'd never be the same. I pray for gifts. Lord God, whether it's faith or healing or prophecy or tongues, I pray that, that there would be something in our life that is stirred within us that did not exist beforehand. Lord, I pray that the evidence would not only be within the gifts, but within the fruit of our life, the character in which we live that cannot happen apart from you. Lord, we love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com.